So take advantage of those things as, as you leave this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Are you ready for the word? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm, I'm ready to unburden myself. Glory to God. The blood covenant's been really exciting, and I've been blessed to be able to share some new things out of this topic that, um, that I haven't shared before, um, and so some new nuances and uh, insights that, that I believe you can take them, put them in your heart, take them home, unpack them, and use them in your daily life. This morning's installment, which is the eighth, is entitled, As It Is in Heaven. You could probably guess where I might have gotten that phrase, as it is in heaven. And of course, it's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth like it is in heaven. Jesus clearly came into the world to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, on earth. It was the central theme of Jesus' gospel. Uh, John the Baptist preceded Jesus and prepared the people in Matthew chapter 3 by preaching. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how he introduced Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is introduced as the kingdom of heaven. And then in Jesus' preaching, in uh, chapter 4 in Matthew, it says, Jesus went out throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So we see that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and then demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing and delivering, casting out devils, cleansing lepers. And uh, then Jesus passed on his ministry, the ministry of, of introducing the kingdom. He passed it on to us. And in chapter 10 in Matthew, the scripture says that Jesus told the disciples, and I would include you and I in that reference, he said, as you go preaching, proclaim saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the message doesn't change. From John the Baptist to Jesus to the early disciples to you and I, what is the message? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus went on to say, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. We don't cast demons out too much anymore. I know there's a few of them around somewhere. Um, but notice that that's all part of the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And could I just make a real simple observation, just sort of kind of to pull your mind into my frame of reference as I proceed with this message. And that is to say that heaven or the kingdom of heaven offers what the world either cannot or will not offer. Notice it. You really see it. I mean, it just stands out in Jesus' gospel. Whoever opened the eyes of the blind, when Jesus would heal blind people, the people said, we've never seen or heard of anything like this. He'd opened the ears of people that were born deaf. He raised the dead. So clearly, heaven is offering things that the world <clears throat> either cannot offer or will not offer. <clears throat> and um, the scripture says concerning the kingdom of God in Romans 14, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, I know we have something kind of like righteousness in the world, human goodness, but it, it really does not even begin to, to rise up to the righteousness we saw manifest in the life of Jesus. It's just perfect righteousness. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven offers righteousness and peace. You know, sometimes we have an interlude or we have rest, but we then get weary again. But how about that peace, not as the world gives, but as Jesus gives, that peace that brings a lasting place of rest for our soul. And finally, it says joy in the Holy Ghost. That heavenly joy that provides strength, um, we can't live without it. I'll tell you, it's amazing if you think about what we could accomplish if we started walking in joy every day and stirred ourselves up, filled ourselves with joy, and let ourselves be overflowed with gladness. So that's the, the kingdom of God offers, righteousness, peace, and joy. And physically, as those things operate, demons are cast out. Sick people are healed, oppressed, or delivered. Those in, in turmoil and heaviness are brought into a state of peace. So could I say this to you at uh, risk of sounding oversimplistic? We just need to show the contrast. There's a God in heaven whose will it is to give you deliverance, healing, and peace. God's will in heaven, could we all agree, is your healing, your deliverance, and your peace. That is his clear will. The kingdom of heaven is filled with it. The atmosphere's charged with it. I dare say, I'll go out on a limb and say, I would put my life's savings, uh, which is substantial, <laughs> on a bet that if you entered the kingdom of heaven right now in its fullness, you would not find a blind condi condition of blindness, demonic oppression, deafness. Everything would work. Nothing would break down. Joy fills, peace overflows the place. So heaven is occupied with a God whose will is those things for your life. And, and I've got you right where I want you now. So let me spring it on you. So here's a question. Why does it seem that God's will is different on the earth than it is in heaven? That thought crosses people's mind, Christians' mind and non-Christians. Why do people say on earth, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for that person to be delivered. It wasn't God's will for that person to be, to be healed. But when we look at the kingdom of heaven in the context of heaven, we, we cannot even bring ourselves to think that there's any work of the devil, any, any vestige left of the, of the uh, traces or the effects of sin. They're just absolutely blotted out. They're not there. The Lord radiates absolute perfection. The answer to the question why God's will seems to be different on earth than it does in heaven is an answer involving kingdoms. The preaching of Jesus was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all of those things, the goodness, the peace, the healing, were manifestations of the kingdom. Now, a kingdom is the realm 
of the authority, the influence of a particular king. The world has been referred to as the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of the devil. Although I would have to say to you, because you're going to hear this reference in this message a little bit down the road, the, the devil does not really have his own kingdom. He is an insurgent. Some of you, if you've followed the wars we've been involved in in recent years, you probably know what an insurgent is. They don't have their own country. They invade your country, use your authority, use your laws, use your weaknesses, exploit you. They don't have their own kingdom. They want yours. And so they operate in your kingdom. So when God made Adam and placed man upon the earth and said, subdue the earth and have dominion and rule over it, he basically made the earth man's kingdom under the kingdom of God. So a subcontext, if you will, of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of earth under man's authority. But man turns away from the truth of God, believes the lie of the devil, and sublets his contract with earth to the enemy. So the kingdom of darkness, though it's ruled and operated by the devil, it really is not with Satan's kingdom, because he has no kingdom, but with the kingdom God gave us. So he's using a corrupted authority. Now the reason this is important, because we're answering the question, why is it that it seems the will of God changes in an earthly scene as opposed to a heavenly scene. Our opening text, remember, is pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. There's not supposed to be two wills, one for earth, one for heaven. There's supposed to be one will of God manifest in the kingdom of God, and that kingdom ought to be influencing this fallen kingdom of the earth in a redemptive way. So to understand and to apply this, this principle of opposing kingdoms or kingdoms in conflict, we have to say that the lives of people on earth to varying degrees are twisted up in the kingdom of darkness and therefore the issues of their lives are hard to access, it's hard to get at because their lives are all twisted around the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of darkness with its influence and lies are all twisted up in people's people's lives, in their thinking, and in physically, in their body, and their emotions, so that they may want to be free, but can't seem to get themselves to that place. And so the lethal poison of Satan's lies, of his kingdom, have penetrated deeply into people's thoughts, captured their hearts and their imaginations. So when the Lord comes into the world, he's like a skilled surgeon operating on a person who's all twisted up, trying to get at seemingly inaccessible sore spots and difficulties that are sitting underneath pockets of infection and of corruption. And they're very difficult to reach. So we're dealing with a conflict of kingdoms. We're not dealing with two different wills of God. So if I, I've kind of explained that enough, I think, so that you can see at least an answer beginning to emerge as to why it seems the will of God in heaven that's so clear gets replaced by what I would call adjusted theology. Well-intentioned, 
pastors, well-intentioned teachers and theologians have adjusted the truth of God's Word because it's almost painful and heartbreaking to try to apply those awesome promises that seem so clear to grasp in the context of heaven to the earth where people are trying to get those prayers answered and they're exercising faith, it appears, but why is it so long in coming and why does it seem people drop off in, in hopelessness before they see those things? And in an, in an effort to not to, to ease people's suffering in their heart uh, over this issue, the theologians will simply change and adapt the theology so that the will of God on earth is different than the will of God in heaven. On earth, there's mysterious reasons that we can't understand why God... Well, there are reasons. That's not incorrect to say. But those reasons are not that His will has changed. His reason is that to one degree or another, most people are somewhat captive by the kingdom of darkness. And if darkness is operating in that life to one degree or another, it's hard for the results of the kingdom of heaven to have their effect until the imagination and the faith and the heart of that person is captivated by the truth of the kingdom. This is why John the Baptist preached, this is why Jesus preached, and this is why he sends you and I to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We are to tell people, look, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He comes with a kingdom. His gospel is truth. Do yourself a favor. Lift your head and, and begin to let that sink in. That sinking down into your heart, in your mind, will change your thoughts, loosen up the holds that darkness has had over your life, and begin to set you free so that you can receive the truth of the word. What did Jesus say so often when people would come up to him and touch the hem of his garment or, or, uh, or, or exercise their faith, he'd say, your faith made you whole. Faith in what? Faith in the kingdom of God. They saw Jesus as some sort of king of the glory of God. They saw him as the place of authority of God, God's authority manifesting on the earth. You with me so far? All right, so the blood covenant, and this topic has been all about the blood covenant. I, I don't want to re-preach what I've already said about it. You can pick up the uh, um, messages, the previous messages, and get filled in. But let me just simply say, on top of what we've said up till now, the blood covenant was basically made. Remember when God met Abraham? Basically made between God the Father and Jesus representing Abraham and representing us, the human race, for the purpose of God coming into the world as a man, Jesus, to establish colonies of the kingdom of heaven upon the earth, to colonialize, to bring colonies of heaven upon the earth. And this colonization of the earth is going to increase until Jesus returns. The world did not receive Jesus. The system of the world did not. And they will not. He will come and he will break the power of the spirit of darkness over the world and seize the nations of the world. They will become his and his kingdom will be fully manifest. But up until that time, he works through colonies of the kingdom of heaven manifest on the earth in the lives 
of families and individuals that walk with him as his ambassadors in this life. Amen? Amen. So God promised that the kingdom of heaven would retake the world. That's a promise. That was in the blood covenant. And when we read in Genesis 22 for several weeks, when he says to Abraham, I will bless you, I will multiply you, and um, your seed, speaking of Jesus, your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. That's kingdom talk. That is God projecting forth in the promise of the blood covenant to Abraham and to his descendants and actually putting that promise out there for hundreds of years later when Jesus would come and he'd catch that, that word that God projected. He will receive it and fulfill it. Your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. That is a reference to the kingdom of God beginning to colonize the earth. Praise the Lord. Not only did God promise that the kingdom of heaven would retake the earth, Isaiah prophesied that the kingdom of heaven would retake the earth in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's a blood covenant statement, if ever there was one. He's saying what Abraham saw in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 when God cut the covenant Isaiah saw in the spirit realm and prophesied God is going to do it. He's going to send a son. The son that, that uh, Abraham did not sacrifice, God will sacrifice instead of Isaac, and that son will be Jesus. And so he prophesies, <clears throat> for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So it's clear that this messianic figure that the blood covenant is going to produce is going to be human. It's going to be a man. He's called a son. And he will be given to us. So he's going to be part of humanity. And it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Clearly divine titles are given to this man. Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, now you're seeing the kingdom. He's going to inherit a kingdom. He's going to rule on the throne of David. And you say, what is the throne of David? You mean he's going to be an Israeli king? No, the throne of David was not necessarily an Israeli throne. It was a throne of the anointing. In other words, the choice of God. The first Israeli king was given King Saul because they wanted a king and didn't want God to be their king. But God, after Saul botched things up, God said, my anointing is going to produce a king. And he said, Go find David, and they found David. So that's the throne. The throne of David is the throne of, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God's choice. And so of the increase of his government, there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. So Isaiah prophesies, the, um, 
the kingdom of heaven is going to retake the earth and the zeal of God is going to accomplish it. There will be no end to its increase. Glory to God. So Jesus comes and after bringing the kingdom of God to mankind, for John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is about to appear, then there's Jesus. He is the kingdom of heaven in manifestation. In three and a half years, he's manifesting the power of the kingdom of heaven. And then, when he rises from the dead, Jesus takes the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he takes it to heaven. Hallelujah. And makes heaven the headquarters of the kingdom of God. That may sound odd to you because you might think, well, the kingdom of God always was headquartered in heaven. Listen because John, John the disciple, not John the Baptist, John in the book of Revelation sees the beginning of the kingdom of God. He's caught up in the spirit and he has a vision. He sees the beginning of God's kingdom. And um, let's listen. I'm just going to pull one verse out of Revelation 12. It's verse 10. And John is writing down what he saw. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come. Now pause for a moment. That to me challenges the thought that up until this point, the kingdom of God was fully deployed throughout heaven and had come. But the inhabitants of heaven, all heaven are probably shouting, probably all the angelic hosts, the Bible says that the, the gates lifted up their heads and the doors flung open and they shouted, here comes the king of glory. Who is this king of glory, they rhetorically ask. He is the Lord, mighty in battle, the conquering king. And so as this scene plays out at Jesus' ascension from the tomb, heaven choruses back to that announcement and says, now is come the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ and its power and now has come salvation for the accuser of our brethren and our sisters. Have, um, the one who accused them day and night has been cast down. And there in Revelation, the scripture says that as Jesus enters the portals of glory and the gates are lifted up, that a great war in heaven breaks out. And the devil is cast out at the entrance of Jesus. In the, so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, enters heaven. Hallelujah. Our salvation is established. Jesus now is the one who ever lives to make intercession. And I don't know if you're shouting hallelujah on the inside or you're free to shout it on the outside. But I, I have to tell you this because this is a hallelujah moment. Glory to God. Do you know that when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't leave human his humanity in the grave? All of him rose up. They found empty clothes. They found that was significant. They found empty clothes. They found empty head napkin. Why does the Bible give that detail? Because it is absolutely critical to our salvation. There is no kingdom of God. There is no kingdom of heaven if Jesus does not resurrect as a man. So the, this, this, this union of God and man, Emmanuel, that, 
that came into the world 33 years before is not now separated and the man dropped off somewhere on earth and God goes back. No, the Bible says there is one God and one intercessor, one intermediary between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So right now, on the throne of God, a man is sitting. <clears throat> I know that sounds radical. Don't get your stones out just yet. In fact, let me, let me just tiptoe to the edge, just a little bit closer to the edge. And let me say to you this morning that the unfathomable, <laughs> the unfathomable God who is referred to as the invisible God, hallelujah, the eternal God, his ways are unsearchable. Whatever happened at the, the inception of Jesus in the womb of Mary was never undone. The nature of the eternal God now has humanity as part of it. God has a human nature. If he doesn't have a human nature, you and I aren't saved. Humanity is part of the divine nature. Now you've got to think about that, and let me tell you why that's important. It's important because before in creation, the Bible says God knew the end from the beginning. And the Bible says Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That before God ever made Adam, Jesus was already crucified. That God had everything worked out because God's not bound by time. God didn't sit down with pencil, pencil and paper and draft out a plan for eternity. That plan, and only this is why, this is what makes God God and why there's only one of him, why he's the almighty. But God had everything worked out in time before he entered and created what we call physical reality. So before physical reality was ever initiated, Jesus already was all that he is today. It just happened in the time continuum over the span of history as God was working it out in the earth. But he was slain from the foundation of the world. Now you say, well, that's fascinating. I didn't come to church to hear quantum physics discussed. But um, you did come for this. If what I said is true, that means when God made Adam and when God made him in the, what? The image and likeness of God. What was that image and what was that likeness? after which he made him. He made us redeemable. And this is what frosted the devil. It just burnt Lucifer. He couldn't stand it. That God made a replica of himself as Jesus Christ, having paid for our sins and risen. He basically engineered justification into you and I. That's why we can be forgiven. That's why the angels weren't forgiven when they rebelled. It's engineered into our design, into our DNA. Um, 
Hallelujah. I cannot just continue down that rabbit hole. Let me just put that out there so that you can think on it. And I think if you think on a little bit, it's going to answer a few questions for you and maybe excite your faith when you're standing and believing God. The next time the devil's trying to lie to you, hallelujah, you can not just look ahead to your future, you can look to your past because glory to God, back before you ever uh, blew any of those options in your life and mess things up. God had already designed victory into you and I. And we can choose that victory today. Can you say praise the Lord? So after he brings the kingdom into the world, he then takes it to heaven and sets it up there. And heaven is now the headquarters of the kingdom of God on earth. Now, notice that the first act of the kingdom of God is to expel the accuser. Up until that time, Satan had access to heaven, and he was constantly running his mouth, blabbing about Job, accusing Peter. Remember Jesus said, Peter, the devil has demanded to sift you like wheat. And notice that Jesus said, but he's a liar, he can't do it. Jesus never said anything like that. He said, but I've prayed, I interceded for you when you recover, which indicates when the devil, before Jesus rose from the dead, before the kingdom of heaven came upon the earth, people were defenseless against their errors, against their mistakes, and against the devil who used those things to, do, to uh, um, defeat uh, and devastate their lives. So the first act of the kingdom of heaven is casting Satan, the accuser, out, which means the authority of your salvation and your citizenship in the kingdom of God was first established in heaven, not the day you prayed the sinner's prayer on earth. It was established in heaven where there's no devil that can argue against you. Psalm 119, verse 89. God said all these things in the Old Testament. I'm sure David spoke them. He wrote them out. The scribes wrote them out. They had maybe only a very filtered idea of what they were writing out. But boy, when you see them in the rearview mirror of the blood covenant, it's like, wow. This is one of them. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So when the king of glory brought the kingdom up to heaven and established it, the gates swung open wide, they received it, where he now ever lives to make intercession for you and I. That intercession is based on a settled ministry that cannot be changed. There's no accuser there to challenge whatever Jesus is praying and interceding concerning your life. So listen, the next time you're fighting the good fight of faith, the good fight of faith isn't trying to defeat the devil, but it's reminding him of what happened to him the last time he was in heaven. That's all the good fight of faith is. The good fight of faith is remind the devil he's cast out. Exercise your authority as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I use that word colony and colonization deliberately because... Before Jesus fulfilled the blood covenant, as I said, Job and, and Peter, they had no way of resisting the accuser's accusations against them. They had to rely on their own righteousness, which always fell short. 
But since Jesus' kingdom arrived in heaven, Jesus presides over his kingdom as the advocate intercessor. The reason there's no room for accusation against you in heaven is because there doesn't need to be anything said after Jesus has spoken. His work was complete. His work is full. He didn't leave anything undone. There's no option. There's no opening for the devil to talk. Hebrews 3 is one of Kathy's and my favorite verses. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling. Notice, where were you called from? Faith Christian Church didn't call you. Some altar somewhere didn't call you. You were called from the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. You, in fact, the Bible says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Holy brothers and sisters, the author writes in Hebrews, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle or sent one, the high priest, the intercessor of our confession. And you've probably heard me say this many times, but the word confession in Greek, when this was originally written, is homologia. It's the, it's the contraction of two words, homo, which means the same species, and logia, which means the word. In the original Greek, that language would sound like this. Holy brothers and sisters, consider your calling from heaven. And Jesus who has called you, for he is the apostle and the high priest of your saying the same thing as God. The word homologia means to simply say what God is saying, which brings us not just to a close, but it brings us full circle back to our opening verse. Jesus said, when you pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth like it is in heaven. What's it like in heaven? In heaven, the gates opened and received the king of glory. Because they did, the accuser was immediately cast out. You and I upon the earth, we are gates. Your life is a gate. Your every level of authority in your life is a gate that you possess. The Bible even calls you an ambassador of Christ. So many Christians feel that there's percentages of their life that are out of control, that the enemy is running their life around or circumstances are running their life around. And I wouldn't argue with that. I think in a material way, that is happening much of the time. But on the level of authority, as heaven recognizes you through the blood of Jesus, no matter what is being said about you, no matter what you're even saying about yourself or circumstances might dictate about you, the blood of Jesus from heaven is saying something better about you. And what it's saying is you have a right to say whatever God has said. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth is what has been released in heaven. You have authorization to say the same thing as God. This is why it's so important that our tongue be yielded to the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important to know the word of God. 
The reason why Christians, as the years have been rolling by recently, statistics show Christians are reading their Bibles less and less. And especially younger, Kathy, what was it? I think the age break was about 30 and under. Um, they said many, I don't know what the percentage was, but this particular survey showed that uh, many Christians never read their Bible. They just simply go to church and let somebody read it for them. We've gotten back to the year, you know, old days, hundreds of years ago, when believers didn't have Bibles, they had priests that told them what to believe and what to do. God has given us his word so that we can say the same things as God, so we can know what our blood covenant responsibilities and privileges are and act upon them. Listen, if the devil fights anything, he fights your homologia. He fights your saying the same thing as God. Have you ever noticed that if you're out of fellowship for a length of time around people that can build you up and encourage you, your mouth starts showing it? I, I don't know any other way to put it, but you, that, that, that power-filled language of faith starts to drift off. You start sounding more and more like the commercials you watch on TV. So... That's not, that statement is not made as a point of condemnation. Wake up and look at what's happening. Realize we are living in a battleground masquerading as a playground. Yes. And we need to get up like I preached last week, every week, and realize we are colonies of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we are under assault. But we have been given the authority, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the Christian cannot succeed unless he or she is aggressive. Without being aggressive with your faith, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against those powers and principalities of resistance. Our weapons are the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, fellowshipping together, building one another up, hallelujah, um, pursuing those callings that God has over our life. Amen. Amen? Close your Bible. Stand with me this morning.